You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, online at acaville.org. Acaville, a wall of sound you won't want to break down. At the top of the hour this hour, October Barbershop Events. Within a two-week period in October, there are two amazing barbershop conventions to put on the calendar. First, from October 15 to 20, the Sweet Adelines are having their international convention and competition. Held at the America's Center in St. Louis, Missouri, it features amazing concerts and, of course, the big competitions. Then, on October 31st, Harmony Inc. kicks off their international convention and contests in Orlando, Florida. With vendors, classes, concerts, and competitions galore, both events are going to be a ton of fun. Get info on Sweet Adelines at sweetadelines.com and on Harmony Inc. at harmonyinc.org. Hello and welcome to Talk Acapella, the show that talks about everything acapella. I am one half the dynamic duo, Brian Alexander. Joining me as always is our co-host, John Lampus. John, how are you doing today? Well, I just got some noodles right before this, and <laughs> I often eat noodles before I do hosting stuff, and the lady there like knew my name as I walked in, so I'm like officially yeah. kind of a regular, and I'm feeling pretty good. It has oh, nothing man, to do with status. acapella, but I'm... I'm feeling like I'm kind of like in an old sitcom or whatever where they're like, hey, John, what do you have? So I'm good. Oh, man. So you're feeling energized. All yeah. right. I love it. I love it. Well, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, joining us today, we have a very special guest. We have Greg Stark. Greg is a music educator and a former member of the Timberman from the University of Puget Sound. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. And since we're on a food theme, I'm about to have some salmon. So I'm super pumped about that. Oh, my goodness. I'm literally the only one without food in front of me. What's well, because you're two hours ahead of us, man. Oh, good point. See, that whole time that... travel thing. <laughs> exactly. That's how time zones work, right? I'm done. Sorry. Yeah. It, you know, close enough. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is awesome. I love that we got this kind of off on the right foot here. Well, this is great. <laughs> I kind of want to just kind of jump into this. So, Greg, as always, the way we start the show off, we like to learn a, a little bit about our guests. So can you fill us in a little bit about your background in music and, you know, how did you get involved in acapella? Okay. Well, I've been involved in music, you know, pretty much my whole life. I come from a pretty musical family and I studied music at the University of Washington. I got my bachelor's degree in basically general music. And during my four years there, I was involved with an acapella group called then the Huskies. It's now called Fermata. And basically just got involved because um, I was in a choir called the University Chorale. And my RA was actually there as well. And he was trying to basically get his acapella group started. Mm -hmm. And he didn't really have enough members, so he invited me to a rehearsal. He invited a few people to a rehearsal, and basically everyone who went kind of got to stay, and that's kind of how it got started (laughs) for me. So was there like this battle between uh, RA and, of course, his resident on who could get the group going the quickest, or (laughs) is that just part of my just dreams? In this case, there wasn't too much of a battle. He was just like, oh, we want you in the group. Oh, you can... You like to arrange too? Okay, that's even better. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> yeah, basically, a couple of years before that, I kind of dabbled with arranging, not specifically for acapella, just kind of arranging, doing different arrangements of music in general. And that's 
you know, my first year at UW is when I really started doing more arranging and kind of seeing how certain pop songs would work as acapella arrangements. Very nice. And so basically I spent four years, three and a half, four years in the Huskies at UW. And then later when I did my master's at the University of Puget Sound, one of our hosts here, John, invited me to audition for the Timberman. And I guess he saw something in me, so I (laughs) was accepted into the group. (laughs) I I saw you, Greg. That's what I saw. Actually, to be, (laughs) I remember uh, one of uh, Greg and I's mutual friends, she had the audition for choir right after him. And we had a sight reading part and she came to me later and she's like, "Uh, you know that Greg guy? And I was like, no. And then she was like, well, this Greg guy, uh, he just sight read the whole uh, exercise perfectly for the choir audition. And I was like, mm-hmm. all right. And then I think like a minute later, I was like, hey, Greg, buddy, you know. <laughs> yeah, that is always the first sign, you know. They can sight read. Okay. They okay. Be like th- yeah. nothing else matters. You could be a terrible person, mm-hmm. but if you can sight read like that, I'm I'm sold. Oh my God. Exactly. I'll tell you about how I learned a sight read on a different episode. Okay. <laughs> there is some backstory there, but anyway. You've obviously been on a couple episodes before, and I'd also like to just uh, extend a thank you from both me and Brian, because uh, you do a lot of producing and helping out on this show with getting our guests all lined up. That just makes our lives so much easier, and I think the Tacapella community, the Acaville fans, should know how much of a role you play in the behind-the-scenes management and everything so uh just as we start out the episode thank you for that because it is awesome yeah no problem i'm glad to also be on the show sometimes yeah we love it so greg you mentioned how you got started in acapella at uw you said your ra came and got you saying hey let's do this i'm curious what was it like kind of as a choir transplant in a sense someone's coming to get you from choir to join in acapella group, curious what your experience was doing both of those ensembles. Because I think, one, it's something a lot of incoming freshmen, like this month, are going to face. They start college, they signed up for choir, but then they're like, oh, I should join an acapella group. And also just like, what is the vibe around it from the music building perspective? Because we've talked about that a little bit before, but that was like two years ago. So I'm really curious, what was it like UW going into an acapella group as it pertains to those issues? Well, for me, it was something completely new because I didn't really know too much about acapella groups before starting um, my freshman year at college. And so when he invited me to rehearsal, I wasn't even sure really what to expect because when I thought of acapella music, I kind of thought of like classical acapella in that way. Mm -hmm. I kind of knew that's not what he was, what this group was going to be about, but it was just something totally new to me. And I think some of the other freshmen who were at that rehearsal, but in terms of doing both choir and acapella, I didn't really have too much of an issue with that. I contribute that to kind of a musical background in that I've enjoyed doing both kind of more classical choir related things and also some pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, especially since I was a music major, the time commitment didn't seem like that big of a deal since when you're, when you're a music like major. Very five hours a day already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was basically, you know, two hour, hour and a half long rehearsals a week. Not, not that much. big yeah. of a deal <laughs> compared to how much, you know, theory work you do. But. For freshmen who perhaps, you know, don't have a long history in music who are kind of newer to musical groups, I can see it perhaps being a little bit overwhelming. They think, wait, wait a minute, I'm going to be singing for an hour and a half. 
because I think to people who have spent a lot of time in musical groups, singing for a long period of time, long rehearsals, we're kind of used to it. But mm -hmm. it can be a long time for people who are not, you know, trained singers and aren't used to kind of singing in a way they don't use their voice too much and don't get tired after an hour and a half. Because if you really use your voice a lot, you're going to be tired at the end of a rehearsal. So I think there's that to consider for kind of people newer to acapella groups and I think also just the whole idea of an acapella group kind of being the whole experience of an acapella group, not just the music, but kind of how members of the group kind of relate to each other, how the group kind of functions can be kind of new as well. Because, you know, acapella rehearsals are not conducted in the same way as choir rehearsals. Often there isn't, sometimes there is, but often there isn't like a conductor who kind of calls yeah. all the shots. It's often much more of a collaborative process. And I think for freshmen who are starting in an acapella group, I think if they're totally new to it, that may be something they want to adjust to. And that's I think since my group, the Huskies, ended up being a pretty young group my first year, we were kind of not sure how to steer the ship in a way at the beginning. And it took us, actually, I actually think a couple of years to really figure out how we could sort of split yeah. the leadership so that some people were, you know, leading the rehearsals at certain times and maybe some people had different responsibilities. So I think that kind of dynamic came into play as well. Thanks for answering that, Greg, because I think these are questions that a lot of incoming freshmen are going to be thinking about. I know when I was doing Mountain Horn stuff, people were like, what's the time commitment? Am I going to wear out my voice? All of these things. And I think it's just, you have to kind of lay out your commitments and look at what you value and how that's going to function. But I think also what you talked about in regards to kind of feeling out your group and learning your role in it, that can be a great growing experience for a lot of first years. I know freshmen who came into my group, they're used to just doing what the conductor says. And at the end of the year, they've become much more dynamic musicians and having interpretive ideas and all that stuff. What do you think about that, Brian? Yeah. So I'm like, it's, it's interesting. I think about that kind of a similar way, but kind of different at the same time, because of course we talked a lot about myself being the co-founder of mm -hmm. an acapella group. And so with that, you know, I kind of came into it as someone, of course I did choir for all four years, but I wasn't like professionally trained or I didn't like completely study theory and things mm -hmm. like that. So I was coming into it and trying to recruit um, singers and musicians who come from a, a deeper background of music. And so it was a very interesting dynamic of I'm trying to start this thing off the ground. And at the same time, how do I convince and appeal to the people who might be involved in the music program, who are a little bit more structured, who have, uh, you know, more of a technical background. And it just with all of that, it got me thinking a lot about what Greg is saying here. And so I was just curious, Greg, as someone who's kind of balancing, um, who has balanced both of those worlds, you know, were there any concerns or worries kind of going into a group on, hey, I'm coming from this, you know, completely structured organization where there's a music educator who has studied music and taught others for all these years versus, you know, I have my RA and I've got these other people who might be from different walks of life who don't come from such a technical background. Were there any concerns or worries, I guess, in the sense of how the group is going to be structured or, you know, how do you follow the lead of someone who might not be that music professional or anything on that level? Initially, I think we were just all very excited to be there and to get started with the music. But I think those dynamics definitely started coming into play a little bit later on. Okay. I think, you know, the idea that an acapella group 
often people are bringing different backgrounds, different experiences to the table, even more so, I'd say, than, you know, classical choir can definitely be, you know, a factor in a group. And I think especially in my second, third year, in those two years in the group, we definitely sort of had this divide of the music majors, you know, the people mm. who really had a stronger background in choir versus the folks who loved to sing and were good singers, but were much more about the show element of it. They focus a lot more on, I guess, choreography and just how our group visually looked on stage. They sort of... The actual performance? Yeah. As opposed yeah. to the music, yeah. And I think, you know, it became clear partially through my first year, and it was sort of something that was present, that different members did have kind of different goals. For some of the members, you know, they really wanted the music to be very polished. They wanted, you know, everyone to know their part well. And for other members, that was not such a big factor. They wanted everyone to have kind of a good time and enjoy it. So I guess that's another thing to consider, you know, what are the goals of the group? I think I've talked about that. That's also another thing, I guess, to consider that there often are kind of different goals and, you know, different people might have different visions for the group because, you know, some people in the group, I remember my first year, wanted the group to split into a a treble group and then like a tenor bass group. They kind of had that idea and not all of us were really down with that. So there's a lot Mm -hmm. of identity kind of issues here, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And it really depends on, you know, I guess the attitude of the group members as well, you know, how willing are people to try different things and how much can the group kind of come together and compromise on what are our commonly shared goals. If we have several different goals, like we want to really polish performance musically, we also want to focus on the visuals, the, you know, performance itself. Mm -hmm. How does the group achieve both? And, you know, who's in charge of kind of directing each of those goals? Yeah, it kind of sounds like you're talking about this balance of kind of, and I could be wrong in the way I phrase this, but entertainment versus art. And I, I know that a lot of groups, especially earlier on groups, struggle with that balance. And it kind of seems like that's exactly that's what you it. guys were, were yeah. struggling against. And that's, that's really unique because, yeah, I'm like, I, I concur. I'm like, we definitely had members who, who came in and this was their first time singing in any kind of structured music group and who they just wanted to sing at the end of the day and then we have these people who wanted to come in and create this completely artistic project and really wanted to do something unique and kind of evolutionary so it's surprising but at the same time not to hear that this is what plagues you know groups of you know everywhere yeah and i'd say it doesn't necessarily have to be a burden on the group it could be that if a group mainly has you know, music majors, and then you and some of the newer members, you know, focus more on the performance aspect, the choreography, that could be a plus in some ways that could mean that you don't stop focusing on the music, but you kind of add mm-hmm. that element. So if a right. group has, you know, the right kind of mentality, it could be that you focus on all of your goals, rather than, mm-hmm. you know, fighting over which ones to focus on. So I think it really comes down to how open minded the members of the group are, how willing they are to, pursue multiple goals rather than just doubling down on their vision for the group, how they kind of share a vision for the group. Right. And I think, um, and man, you just hit it on the head right there. And I look back on all of my different acapella experiences. And I think the one piece of advice I would give each and every person that was looking to start a group would be figure out your goals early on. Because mm-hmm. I, I see that work out so well for so many groups who have a, a long, a fabled history to them. And, you know, they knew what they wanted to do. And that kind of helped to shape their identity 
after decades of, you know, being an established organization. So it's so mm-hmm. important what you're talking about with these goals. I definitely agree. And I remember, and I've said this on the show before, when I started Mountain Horns, did auditions, and then I got 95% of everybody. We had like one or two members who came in a bit after that. But I sat down with each member individually saying, what do you want out of this group? And I was really Mm -hmm. lucky in that they all kind of individually came to this sense of, we want to be well-known on campus. But they also recognize you needed to be musically gifted and polished in order to do that. And the core of the group was kind of formed around, honestly, these uh, four guys. We had one of them, Jared, on one of our previous episodes where they all had a lot of music ed experience. So they kind of formed the core, but they also looked outward towards how are we looking? Like, how are we performing? Because in, frankly, my like weakness as a director, I'm there, I'm always like music, music, music. And then sometimes mm-hmm. I get up there and we are just kind of flat affect. We're not doing anything with our faces or maybe I'm standing awkwardly or something like that. So I think, Greg, this all-encompassing approach is super important in the sense that I was pulled in directions this past year for Mountain Horns that I legitimately thought were either quote-unquote wrong or not worth it that ended up being necessary to the group. So we looked happier when we were performing or we did a song that that connected with the audience better, all of these things. And I think what we're also touching on is the kind of situation that I think a lot of people find themselves in, which is a choir kid going into an acapella group. And that's going to be, again, a lot of these incoming freshmen. And I think the big thing is being one, open-minded to different experiences, but also recognizing that you do have experience in this field and that if you have been in a choir for like eight years and you've been taking voice lessons, you have some expertise and you have some experience that you can bring to the group. Cause I see so much like there's the head honcho who's been there for like three years and the freshmen just Mm -hmm. do whatever that person says. But I've seen the best groups, maybe they have a point person, but they are collaborative in recognizing their strengths. We had someone who was kind of like super business oriented and they did our programs. We had someone who was kind of a theater person. They made sure we always looked engaged. And I think these kind of things are just important to having a well-rounded group, which it's hard to have a well-rounded group if it's only one person's way. And I think that's the conclusion we're all coming to here. And one thing I would add to that is I think for the more experienced members in the group, you know, the juniors and seniors, I think while they kind of do want to be leaders and maybe guide the newer members at times, I think the way I would put it is, you know, they should inspire the newer members to be the best that they can, not the best that, you know, the juniors and seniors can want they to be. want to inspire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They want to inspire the newer members to kind of find their own voice, find their own style rather than copying the style of the more experienced members. I think, you know, the best leaders kind of nurture individuality in the newer members. Well, yeah, so- I agree completely. Yeah. I think. And there was something that I did um, the very last year because I was the president of my group for uh, all the first three years of the group. And then the very last year, I was like, well, you know what? I can't go all four years because then this group is just going to function the same how I've always been functioning. And to me, that kind of would hinder evolution a little bit. And so I made the conscious decision of, hey, this last year, someone else needs to be in power. So I can kind of take a step back and let the group kind of take its course and, you know, grow in a very organic way. And so I love what you're talking about on the older, more veteran and seasoned people kind of being a guide, but at the same time, letting people figure out their way and, you know, kind of charting, I guess, a a different course. Yeah, being a, uh, a guide, but not a mold. 
I think. Yeah, I think yeah, because, that's a better way to put it. Yeah, well, I think what will happen then is the group will always have this idea of, well, this is what we've always done, which if even if that was great when the previous person was there, the previous leader was there, that might not always be the best thing for what the group needs to be, what the group needs to evolve into. So I think... I, I think these are all super excellent points because we need to, like you said, Greg, not only inspire individuality, but inspire them to bring their individuality like to the group and shape it. Because if they don't, I feel like the result is feeling pretty kind of like lacking an identity once that core member, that founder, whoever has left. Because it's like, well, they they made our identity. So what do we do now? So when everyone contributes in their own way or they take ownership, there have been changes in both Timbermen and Mountainhorns that I'm like, whoa, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like my instinct is like, no, 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 no. But I'm not there anymore. And usually it's not a major thing. It's like, okay, I would not do that. But that's important that they do things that I wouldn't do because then they're being honest to the members in the group exactly. rather than the member who created the group because it's their group now. And I think that's Honestly, what a lot of acapella founders and leaders struggle with. And I think, you know, give Mm -hmm. it to the young people, give it to the people who are in the trenches, in the rehearsals right now, because that's, that's, you know, we had our chance to do it and now they have their chance and it'll, it'll all work out. Yeah, because I remember you and I were talking after the um, first Timberman performance we saw after we were no longer in the group. Uh-huh. And we we noticed that, you know, the songs they were doing were kind of different from the songs mm-hmm. that we had done while we were in the Timberman. They, they brought back some of the songs from before, but they kind of were, at least for the time being, taking the group in a slightly different direction. And I think both of us kind of realized that the best repertoire or the best concert for the group that we were in is not the same as the best possible concert for the newer group. Very well said, Greg. I I totally agree. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to pass it over to another member of the Huskies with her segment Notable Coverage. We're going to hand it over to Amanda Tran, where she's going to look at some uh, songs, some arrangements, tell us what she thinks. And then we're going to be right back here on Tacapella. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, giving listeners worldwide something to sing about. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Notable Coverage here on Tacapella, only on Acaville Radio. I'm your host, Amanda Tran, and on this week's episode, number 16, we are going to dive a little deeper into this discography of one of my favorite bands, Panic at the Disco. Now this name is not unfamiliar in the acapella world. Panic at Disco is one of those bands that doesn't really have a defined genre, I feel. They kind of exude rock for sure. Pop, it's soulful. There are R&B moments in Brendan Urie's vocal stylings, and it's also very theatrical, which I love because I'm a huge Broadway snob. Um, But it's no surprise that these college acapella groups and pro groups are doing covers of Panic at the Disco songs because they are able to showcase vocal ability. The songs are super vocally challenging. Brendan Urie is an incredible vocalist. He's got crazy range and he has such an amazing and defined tone. And there's just built-in drama moments in all of these songs. And I feel like because they're already so dramatic, groups are able to take that and showcase their personalities and their styles through these incredible songs. So as I went deeper and deeper into the YouTube and Spotify hole, I came to realize that 
not many groups were able to really portray the epicness and just the grandness of Panic at the Disco and their acapella arrangements. Um, there were a couple standout moments and soloists, but for the most part, it's really hard to do someone that epic. That being said, one of my favorite Panic acapella moments was from The Green Note, and this is a co-ed group from Portland State University in Oregon. <laughs> they performed The Emperor's New Clothes in their 2016 ICCA set, and I was luckily in the audience for these performances. Now, Ethan Conroy, the soloist in this performance, who's also now in a couple Portland groups, was really able to, in my eyes, encapsulate and portray the spirit and essence of a true lead singer of a rock band. And I think that's so incredibly incredibly difficult these days in acapella, especially when you're doing covers of other people's songs. Being able to really harness the energy and the soul and the passion in these songs is so hard. And I think that Ethan did just that from the range, the low baritone notes in the verses to the high choruses, and all throughout just maintaining this beautiful, edgy, full tone that you would really want from a rock singer. And not to mention those like crazy high notes that Brendan Urie does, like literally like Mitch Grassy level crazy high notes. Ethan was there and I was like literally out of my seat yelling at the end of this performance and just remembering being so disappointed and so outraged that they did not get the best soloist award. That being said, here's a live clip of the Green Notes performance of Emperor's New Clothes. Before I close out today, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Backtrack Vocals. I've only ever seen YouTube covers. I've never seen any live performances, but I thought this was a really cool Panic at the Disco medley that they did. It's super good production, really good singing, and just an all-around solid performance. Check it out. As I'm pacing the pews in a church corridor And I can't help but to hear No, I can't help but to hear In exchanging of words Thanks again for tuning in to Notable Coverage Again, my name is Amanda You can reach me at Amanda Tran Rocks That's at Amanda Tran R-O-C-K-S On any social media, I'd love to hear from you With any acapella Stuff I love anything acapella, so definitely hit me up, and I'd love to talk soon. Thanks again. Bye.
listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, your base for the lowdown on acapella. And welcome back to Talkapella. So we've been talking today, myself, co-host Brian, and guest Greg, a lot about, we just kind of fell into the topic of group leadership, but more so group leadership after the leader is gone and kind of what happens to a group after that. And I've found myself in in that situation twice with starting uh, the group, the Timbermen at uh, University of Puget Sound, then graduating and the same with Mountain Horns at CSU, founded that, directed it. And again, I graduated and it's been tricky for me. I know like seeing the group sometimes do different things or do things that I'm like, oh, maybe you should do this. But also recognizing while I may have started the group, it's not my group anymore. And, I, and that's super important. Yeah. I see people who have started groups or people who kind of in, like kind of adopted groups, maybe they didn't found it, but they were like the point person for three or four years, whatever, struggle with letting a group go. In a sense, and I've seen groups that really latch on to, oh, you started us like, don't tell us what to do, but give us, give us all your resources. And I've also seen groups like push back against founders being like, hey, go away. Like this isn't your thing anymore. So wait, there's a middle ground. Brian, I'm curious as a founder of a group, mm-hmm. what was that like for you when you left? Because I feel like when you found a group, you get in this sense of like always being on in a sense of like, okay, well, is this good for the group? I'm always thinking through things, even just subconsciously, will this work? Will that work? And then just being, turning that off, being out of mountain horns mode or out of timbermen mode it's strange and it's a little, it's a weird disconnect. I'm curious, what was that like for you when you graduated and left your group? It was a struggle uh, is what I will say, Mm -hmm. because it's, I will say for anything that you have a hand in creating, then it's going to be hard to let it go at the end of the day. But it's even tougher and more difficult when it's been something you've pretty much has been like your second life in my case for four years straight. Because outside of schoolwork and outside of a job, I lived, ate, breathed pretty much acapella music with the green tones at the University of North Texas. So um, it, it started small, you know, with mm-hmm. just my last year or two in the group, just kind of seeing, you know, oh, a kind of a shift and the different repertoire of music that we were starting to pick up and the different suggestions and like, Oh yeah, let's do a Kesha song. And I was like, Kesha, whoa, this is oh, let's let's slow down here for a second, you know, because I was more more old school kind of music. And then you know, I had to be accepting of that, the people's different ideas. And then it became okay. Well, how about we structure these different positions? Uh, and then how about we kind of change our branding a little bit? And so it starts as a slow push, and then once you're completely out of the group. It's just like a part of you is kind of gone in a sense and not completely, but it's a part that you you have to realize, hey, this is not something I have power and control over. But now I'm more of, I guess, an advisor in a sense, because I did have a bunch of members, whether it was executive position, people that were in executive positions or just regular members come to me after I graduated and they're like, hey, we're going through this or, hey, how did we used to do this? And it was trying to find that right balance of Mm -hmm. giving guidance, but at the same time, letting them figure things out because, you know, I had to figure things out. And so it was it was definitely tough leaving all of that, but at the same time, still having a connection to it. So, yeah, it was tough for me. But I'm curious, Greg, did anything ring true based on your experiences? 
I can definitely relate to some of that, especially regarding taste in music. I would say that I did quite a bit of arranging during my time at UW in Latskis. And I definitely did, you know, songs. I definitely arranged songs that were more kind of old school, kind of 60s, 80s, that sort of thing. And I think a lot of members in the group were more into contemporary pop. Yeah. And I think one challenge for me was letting the group make my arrangements work for them. Because whenever I do an arrangement or, you know, composition, I kind of have my own vision for how it's going to look and sound. And it's it can be difficult to kind of let go of that a little bit and to let the group perform the arrangement in the way that you know works for them. Because often the group will think about certain elements in the arrangement that you didn't necessarily think about so much when you were arranging it. And yeah. Perhaps they maybe don't pay as much attention to a section that you really spend a lot of time on. You really want to sound perfect. <laughs> or perhaps they want to add another element completely. Like maybe they want to add beatboxing or something. And that mm-hmm. wasn't even a factor beforehand. So I can definitely relate to that. As somebody who's done a lot of arranging. And in terms of leaving a group, since I've never been like the founder, it was, I guess, a little easier for me to kind of let go in a way. And I guess in my case, when I I'd always see the uh, concert after I had left the group, I would always just, you know, kind of tell myself, well, you know, <laughs> now you get to relax and I get to sit back and enjoy the concert. <laughs> I kind of looked at that side of it because it was kind of nice to go to a concert from my former group and to realize and to kind of see it from a totally different perspective, you know, mm-hmm. see like, OK, well, I kind of know the process, but now I'm only going to see the end result. And it's kind of a different experience to just see the finished product after you're used to the majority of the time working on, you know, polishing that product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll say that there is definitely a, a great deal of satisfaction when you attend a concert for the first time or even the first few times as a non-member. Um, it was definitely something that you, uh, you take in in a different light. So I get where you're yeah. coming from. And I think, Greg, your your feelings about leaving a group and feeling like you're always polishing a product and feeling really used to the intimacy and the hard work of that, that's magnified, especially in Timberman. When, when we were there, it was four people and then it was five. So it's not like you're an ensemble member. You are like 25 or 20% of the ensemble in that situation. So it's different when like, I don't know if it's like a 20-person group or 25 or even 16 where you are more part of a section, but when you're one on a part, you are used to being a cornerstone of that, not just that group, mm-hmm. but of that group's sound. So I know that was tricky for me when I wasn't in Timberman anymore, being like, okay, this is how the group sounds now, and that's not the way I would inherently do things, but this makes more sense for these voices. I remember when we arranged some stuff, Greg, for Timberman after we left, it was... I remember one or two pieces. It was like, it was really hard for them because they were just, they had more non-music majors. And that was just what the group was at that point. And mm-hmm. I was, I remember thinking like, no, we got to do this like for Timbermen. But I'm thinking Timbermen in my mind, in our Timbermen, not necessarily the new Timbermen. And I think all of this, honestly, I feel kind of like a parent letting their kids go to college in a sense, <laughs> like empty nesters. They're like, well, what do we do? Like we just made this kid and we raised it for 18 yeah. years and now it's uh-huh. doing its own things. Like when did we agree to that? But I feel like we're definitely not the only people who struggle with this. And I'm not certain 
there is a clear answer of just like, well, now I'm totally fine. I mean, yeah, 20 years from now, I'm probably not mm-hmm. going to be like, oh, the Timbermen, they were the best with me. But <laughs> it's it's a sense of ownership that you yeah. have to have when you're leading the group that you don't get to have when you leave it and you have to not have it for it to grow. So it's weird to turn that off. It's weird to let it go. And it's weird when you don't always get to decide where it's going to land. So I'm, I'm really curious for people listening, like what are your thoughts on this? What have your experiences been leaving groups? Because I think it's very easy to just always talk about, well, this member was great. Then they left. Then this member was great. And we're always focusing mm-hmm. on the group. But what about the alumni and the people who shaped it? How do they impact it? How do they impact where it goes? And also how do they not impact where it goes? Like what... I'm sure there's going to be quite a few things Mountain Horns do totally different next year because they're like, yeah, that was John's thing, but this is our thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's an answer, but I think it's just, all right, that's the situation and that's the reality. Yeah. And I think a lot of it deals with what that specific individual kind of put back into the group. Because mm-hmm. I think I look back at some of the members and the ones who I guess had the deepest connections or the ones that not only were, you know, great singers and showed up to rehearsals, but the ones that actually established connections and friendships and bonds with the members and who kind of did stuff, you know, outside of rehearsals at the end of the day and kind of, of course, gave back to the group, but had a a vested interest in the group um, more than what's just seen on a day in, day out, you know, rehearsal kind of thing at the end of the day. So I think a lot of that plays a part into the feelings that are, I guess, felt uh, once you leave the group, you know, a lot of it stems from that. One thing that I think we should um, touch on is the other perspective of people leaving the group when you're still in the group and other members leave, kind of leaving a hole to be filled. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. especially, you know, with the Huskies for me when I was in the group for four years, the end of every year, people would graduate. And some people couldn't even stay in the group for other reasons, like they suddenly had more obligations or... They had a time conflict come up. And I think addressing that from the perspective of someone who's still in the group, you know, how do you fill the holes, especially of members who were in the group for a long time and were kind of, you know, founders? How do you kind of reinvent the group in a way, you know? Where do you go from losing, you know, a founder? Totally. Mm. I remember when Timberman first started, it was me and three other guys. We were all like music majors. One of them had to drop out for just a bunch of reasons. It just wasn't working out. And we got another music major. So the first full incarnation of Timberman was four vocal performance majors. We had big voices there and our bass was the bass section leader. He was an operatic bass, but he could do pop. And he had a huge voice and he was amazing. He's one of the best basses I've ever heard. And Mm -hmm. he graduated. And when he left, I just thought, what are we going to do? There's no way we're going to ever find someone like that. And I remember going into the next year feeling like, how are we ever going to do this? Because the bass is an important role, especially in a quartet. How can we possibly move beyond this member? Because he was foundational. He was important to our sound, the feel of the group. And we ended up getting another great bass, Jace. He just graduated from the group in May. Great bass voice, but he brought something different to the group. He brought a different vibe. He had great low notes. He brought an energy and a dedication that while the previous bass still had, it was different. It felt fresh. He fit within the sound in the sound of the newer voices that came in and it worked out. So I think it's recognizing, I think a big part of this is recognizing when someone leaves, don't try and necessarily get a new version of them. 
when I leave, mm-hmm. like I don't want the tim- uh, mountain horns, like I've left now, I don't want them to go out and like try to find necessarily a music ed grad student who can do all the same stuff I did because you will just be disappointed if you try and take someone and fit them into the mold of someone who was before because that's not letting them have their individuality affect the group like we were talking about. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I think the the resolution with all of that is kind of found in arranging. And I know we were talking about arranging a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. but I, I agree that once someone leaves, you don't try and just recreate them by any sense of imagination. And I think back to uh, yesterday, I was actually having a conversation with um, my college group's uh, other co-founder and then the current president. We're currently planning a, a big anniversary show and we were we were talking a lot about arrangements and, you know, what arrangements could we do? And he started filling us in on how they do arrangements. And it's like they no longer do arrangements for SATB or they do the kind of standard arrangements. They arrange for individual the individual people currently in the group. Mm. And I think when people move on and people transition or new, new people come to the group, part of the evolution is, you know, what can we do arrangement wise? You know, how can we get creative with the yeah. voices that we have? That way you're not worried about, oh man, you know, we had this bass who could, you know, hit the world's lowest note or we had this super soprano or or whatever. Mm-hmm. You just, the arranging of the group just kind of flows with the people that you currently have. Yeah. It evolves in a sense and you just get creative. And I think yeah. that's what you have to look at. I'd agree. And I think the other part of this is, and I think this was the big thing for me, recognizing that we as leaders or as founders we have limitations and there's probably something we have done that either wasn't the most perfect thing we could have done or there were things in our approach we inherently brought that limited other things. And that for me, I'm very open about this, that I am not great at inspiring good stage presence. I'm always focused on mm-hmm. the music and then the stage present lacks or I focus so much on the music, other things fall by the wayside. And I think leaders recognizing that there's probably inherently something that these kids are gonna recognize that they can do better and that's okay and being comfortable yeah. with that. I'm so excited for Mountain Horns to grow. Uh, I remember in the final concert, the Mountain Horns concert, I, I quoted uh, in my kind of little goodbye speech they had me do, I quoted good old Jedi Master Yoda from uh, The Last <laughs> Jedi saying, teachers, Greg, do you know what I'm about to say? <laughs> yep. We are what they grow beyond and we can give them mm. these steps forward and then they're going to take those steps and then they're going to go way beyond it. And that I think is maybe that's the solution to this whole thing in that it's so satisfying to see we gave them their first steps and now they're running and now they're sprinting. And I'm so excited for Mountain Horns to move beyond the John Lampus era. I'm excited. I'm excited <laughs> that Timberman has moved beyond the Greg Starr and John Lampus era because I think all of us did great things. But now they're going to take those great things, take what worked and leave behind what didn't work and just keep going forward. And that's, I think that's just crazy satisfying. I think what it comes down to is that you provide the members and those who are still going to be in the group after you leave with the right tools to be successful, you know, not that they have to do anything in the same way that you did it, but that they saw that there are different ways of having the product come out to a nice clean version. Yeah. And and that's the approach I think I take with Mountain Horns and I think Greg and I took with Timberman after a little bit of, hey, if you want these resources, they are here. I just mainly try to let them know. I'm I'm mm-hmm. Skyping with uh, the three kind of leaders of Mountain Horns this weekend 
and I'm just saying, hey, this is how, just for logistical stuff, this is how I ran auditions. Here is the poster template. Here are the contacts. Here's what I did and what I thought worked. They're going to probably use, I don't know, maybe half of it. Maybe they'll use all of it, but they're going to evaluate it on their own terms for this year rather than last year. And I think mm -hmm. the result will be a more up-to-date audition process, but it'll also be procedures that are more in line with the current culture of the group rather than my culture and just letting people to say, hey, if you want these things, they're there. I give I gave both mm -hmm. the leaders of Mountain Horns and the leaders of Timberman all of my arrangements when I left. I said, here's everything I have. Use these, don't use these, you just have them. And I think that's the best thing we can do. We can say the door's open for advice, yeah. for resources, exactly. but it's your choice if you want to use them or not. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think giving the group the option of contacting you for help or the resources you have, giving them that option if they want it is definitely the right way to go about it because they may initially decide, no, what, you know, you're not in the group anymore. We kind of went to the group in our own direction and then realize maybe we could use a little bit of guidance, allowing them to kind of reach that conclusion on their own, I think is better than totally trying to guide them based on your own initiative. And also... It kind of gives them some ownership of the new repertoire if they decide they want to do a Kesha song. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if they, if like a Timberman were to bring back an arrangement that you and I did, and it wasn't, you know, us telling them, hey, you guys should do this arrangement, we worked really hard on it or anything like that. If they were choosing to do it, basically at that point, it's their own decision, it's their call, and it's more likely they're going to make it into their own version. Totally. As opposed exactly. to it being, you know, the John and Greg arrangement. It's going to have kind of a new identity in a way with the new yeah. group. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that was my biggest hope for the group after I left was that, hey, as long as the group continues to thrive, that's most important to me. But I want them to make this their own thing. I want the, you know, the group to still exist. But in what way it will exist, it's totally up to the people in the group. Perfect. Boom. Well, guys, that was pretty freaking awesome. Not going to lie. We're going to take one more quick break and we're going to be right back here on Tacapella. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, giving listeners worldwide something to sing about. Hello, my name is Lisa Hawkins, and welcome to Tacapella's mini-segment, Asking for Directions, where I will be talking about different tips and tricks that will help you in your acapella group get to the next level. So today, I'm going to be talking about the best way to set your group up for success from day one, auditions. And I'm going to gear this a little bit towards college groups, but the idea definitely applies to all types of groups. So whether this is a new group or a pre-existing one, you're probably going to have auditions, which is where it all starts, right? And I think especially in college groups, it happens almost every semester and odds are, you know, exactly what the process is going to look like because you've all gone through it before and have been on both sides of it, have judged so many voices by now, and it's super easy to go into autopilot. Well, actually, I think auditions are arguably the most important part of the semester and how you advertise and conduct an audition process will determine the tone for your group. No pun intended. Not only for that semester, but for as long as those those members that you get are in the group. So let's talk about the most common problem in acapella groups. Attendance, usually. Getting college kids to show up to rehearsal is hard. They have homework, they have other extracurriculars, meltdowns, life's hard, kids. I get it. I have been there. So how do you get them to show up? 
the key is don't make it about them. And that may sound kind of strange, especially since the nature of acapella is how inclusive we are and etc etc. But making the process about the group doesn't make you uninclusive, you're just setting expectations. For example, more often than not, groups will have an audition forum that asks them to fill out a bunch of information about them, which is totally fine, but won't write anything about themselves or the group. This is in and of itself not a problem per se, but there's so much information about your group that is very important to to put out there before people even sign up for an audition. And this information should be both on the audition form and communicated at either your club festival where you recruit, or if you don't have one of those, communicate it again during the physical audition. So information that you must communicate. Number one, what is your group about? What are your goals? Is it just for fun? Are you guys competitive um and if it's meant to be fun like to what degree like do you have performances or are those performances important and if you compete like explain what that means too odds are they probably don't know they probably don't know that it entails not just singing that there's choreography involved there's a lot more that goes into it so you have to communicate what they're going to be a part of number two what are your expectations for attendance, commitment. Something that is super great is having a rehearsal schedule before you start auditions. This is so they know when rehearsals are before they even sign up and if that's a realistic thing that they're going to be able to do or not. Even if it's just writing rehearsals are Sundays and Wednesdays, 7 and 9 p.m. every week. They can look at that and say either, yeah, I can totally make that work or no, this is a little bit more than I was looking for. And this way, the singers you'll eventually get will have no excuse for missing one and communicate that they're expected to be at all of them, barring extreme circumstances, obviously, but give them examples of what those are and aren't. Um, Like, I usually make it very clear that homework is not an excuse because we all have homework and that's unfair to everyone else in the group that's making rehearsals that also has homework. Plus, you know, you're college kids, you're always gonna have homework, right? So thirdly, along the same lines of expectations, and depending on how serious your group is this might not apply to you but something I would communicate is that school comes first and the group comes second they tell student athletes the same thing um, but if your group is serious about competing this isn't an unreasonable thing to ask because you have to have everyone there at every rehearsal to make it efficient right So once those things are communicated, you're going to have much more committed singers sign up right off the bat. Because in a way, this kind of weeds out the less serious or less committed people. And you don't really want to waste your time anyways. So right away, the level's going to be higher and your audition process is going to be efficient. And after auditions are over, now you have everyone on the same page from day one. It's crazy how something so simple can really set the tone for your group, but it really does. And my last advice is that at your first official meeting, go through those expectations in more detail at whatever works for your group and have it laid out on a piece of paper so that they can all look at it and sign it before they leave. Kind of like a contract, make it official. That way, if rules are broken, they get too many warnings or God forbid you have to kick someone out, um, you can reference that contract and be like, hey, 
you know, we had these expectations from the beginning. And I can say that I have had to kick a few people out of groups before from time to time. But after I started doing this and laying everything out from the beginning, I never had to kick anyone out ever again because they all knew. They knew what they signed up for. So those are some of the bullet points on things you must communicate before auditions in order to set your group up for a successful year. So that wraps it up for this week. But if you have any specific questions you'd like me to answer, uh, you can post them on Akaville's social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can reach out to me personally on my Facebook or Instagram. Again, my name is Lisa Hawkins, and thanks for joining me on this week's mini segment of Asking for Directions. You're listening to community-supported Akaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at akaville.org. Akaville, filling your ears with voices since 2013. And welcome back to Talk Apala. So as we wrap up today's show, Greg, we normally like to leave listeners with one parting thought, one piece of advice that they can apply to their acapella journey. So if you could offer the acapella community as a whole one piece of advice in regards to anything we've spoken to about today or any thoughts that come to mind, what would that piece of advice be? Well, we've talked a lot today about the idea of kind of the identity of an acapella group or, you know, individuals in a group. And I guess I would say that there is not one specific mold that any acapella group has to adhere to and that the best thing for any group to do is to work together to kind of find their identity and know that it doesn't have to just be one thing. The group can, you know, wear many different hats, so to speak. And the identity is kind of something fluid. It's not that a group you know, has, you know, this sort of image that has to keep up throughout its entire existence. Know that, you know, there are many different kind of possible niches. There are many different types of repertoire an acapella group can do. There's not like one formula for a successful acapella group. And I think the best thing any group can do is recognize what each member brings and find its identity through that and know that it's something that's going to be constantly evolving. Yeah, well, exactly. So. I, I love the idea that the possibilities are endless and i think you, it was well said the way you just put it so but thank you so much for joining us today this has been a great conversation yeah dude great to be on the show i love it greg if people want to get a hold of you how and just talk to you about acapella how could they do that well um the best would probably be email you can email me at g-a-s-t-a-r-r at seattleschools.org um i my uh, Twitter account, yes, Twitter, my Twitter Greg, account. Just say it. Just say it. Is uh, Greg Star's take and star with two R's. Yes, <laughs> Brian. What about you? How can people find you? As usual, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore A zero five. And as always, please go follow all of the College Acapella channels. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Boom. And then everyone, I'm at the same place, uh, hanging out at my mom's. Uh, but I'm also on uh, Twitter and Instagram at John Lampus, J-O-H-N-L-A-M-P-U-S. And feel free to check out the Timbermen. You can find them on Facebook at Timberman Acapella. Just search that. They're at the University of Puget Sound. If you're going to UPS, check out the Timbermen because they're great. And then also, if you're going to Colorado State, check out Mountain Horns. They're on all social media at Mountain Horns. Check those two groups out. They're great. And they were a big part of what we talked about today. Boys, this was a killer episode and I, I think we're talking about stuff that sometimes is difficult and sometimes is uncomfortable and I think that's why it's worth talking about so everybody thanks for listening to this episode of Talkapella and for everything acapella please 
Stay tuned. Rose and flows of angel hair And ice cream castles in the And feather canyons everywhere I looked at clouds that way But now they only block the sun They rain and snow on everyone So many But clouds got in the way I looked at clouds from both sides now From up and down And still somehow It's cloud illusions I They shake their heads, they say I've changed. 